Hello, and welcome to What's Happening with me, Richard Warwick. This is episode 18 of the podcast, and at the moment we're in February 2021. It's the 9th today, uh, so that's like 46 or 47 weeks into three weeks to flatten the curve. I don't really want to talk about this whole situation and the fact that it's pretty much playing out the way that they said it would in Event 201. Minus the deaths, the deaths obviously, uh, they haven't happened, but they had to be in that pandemic exercise. Uh, to they had to exaggerate them in the pandemic exercise to scare people into consenting into the new world order. So I haven't been podcasting for a while now because I don't really want to do like a running commentary on the virus and on this and on that. Um, I just want to talk about some conspiracies, but they're all coming true, man. They are all coming true. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm just waiting to sort a few things out. I'm going to have a couple of people on the podcast. Uh, Dan Pokovic is going to come back on. He's been a bit busy. Um, My friend Jay is going to come on. We're going to sort that out. Um, But as of now, uh, as I mentioned, at the moment we're in February and we've been locked down again since before Christmas. Now, the week the vaccine was released... They announced a new variant, and now there's a couple of different variants. One variant in particular is apparently a South African variant, but has somehow missed the whole continent of Africa, whole continent of Europe, but it's here in the UK. And uh, I'm sceptical of that, to be honest. The PCR test as well, it doesn't test for a live virus, and at 45 cycles or revolutions, it can be manipulated. Now, those are not my words, but the words of Carrie Mullins, who created the test and won a Nobel Prize for doing so. So have a look at the videos of him talking about how it can't be used to test for a HIV-AIDS virus because it doesn't test for a live virus. And the test is so sensitive that if you amplify the results to 45 cycles, you'll have a very large false positive rate and you can manipulate those results. So... PCR test and it's all cases so all of these asymptomatic people do they you know like what's the score with them can they transmit it do they actually have it I don't know but the flu's disappeared and the headline I saw last week was the lowest level of flu for 130 years now they didn't understood or understand sorry how the flu worked until 1933 uh, that was when it was first like kind of isolated and I think they put it into ferrets or something like that so how were they testing people before that date, before 1933. If you got 130 years worth of data, but it wasn't isolated until 90 years ago, you know? At that time as well, back in the day, where I live in Wales, people would be down the coal mines breathing in toxic gases, they'd breathe in fumes from nearby copper works. So how many of these cases back in the day were flu compared to unknown respiratory diseases that would have similar... Uh, symptoms you know so the flu usually kills around 50,000 people a year uh, 17 18 it was actually uh, more than I was like 60,000 because it was a different strain to what the the one that they were pumping into people with mercury and other harmful things but as I said it usually kills around 50,000 people a year and it's disappeared and the government are manipulating the media uh, well they're, they're both the same thing but they're manipulating the figures saying a hundred thousand people have died from coronavirus well, 
all we all know that the deaths are within 28 days of a positive test with no post-mortem and regardless of whether these people actually die of covid or another comorbidity so if you test positive on a monday and get struck by lightning a day after you go down as a covid death i also have been told of two cases and uh, where people i know have had family members die of other things and they've tested negative for COVID, but they've tried to put them down for COVID. And when you question them, it's kind of, it's either COVID or you have to wait two or three months for a post-mortem, you know? Like, they, they, they want to put them down as COVID. And I don't really want to be talking about COVID itself and the deaths, you know, that come with it and stuff like that. Out of respect for people whose family members are dying and things like that, you know? And the one thing I will uh, say, is pneumonia and the flu deaths are marked down as COVID. And I have evidence to prove that. They're all marked down as COVID. Yeah, pneumonia and flu deaths. Uh, what I can't be quiet about, though, is the ushering of the new world order, using the pandemic as an excuse. Uh, there's Hegelian dialect everywhere. So Hegelian dialect, for those of you who don't know, Hegelian thinking affects our entire social and political structure. So the Hegelian dialect is a framework for guiding our thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead us to a predetermined solution. So anyone who's a fan of David Icke will have read his problem-reaction-solution method that they use. So if we don't understand how Hegelian dialect shapes our perceptions of the world, then we don't know how we are helping to implement the plan or the vision. When we remain locked into dialectical thinking, we can't see outside of that box, outside of that parameter. So it's like if you're a fish and you're born in a fishbowl. All you know is that fishbowl. You don't know where the ocean is. The whole concept of an ocean would never even occur to you. Because all you would know is that fishbowl. So Hegel's dialectic is the tool which manipulates us into a frenzied circular pattern of thought and action. So every time we fight for or defend against an ideology, we are playing a, necessarily, uh, a necessary role in the elite's game and it holds this system in place. So opting our consciousness out is the key to all of this. So one example would be like 9-11 and how the problem staged with the solution already planned out. You know, look at the Patriot Act. They brought that in as a result of 9-11, but we all know that something like that must have been on the, sh on the shelf for a long time, and they're waiting for the, for the right moment and the right opportunity to bring it in. Obviously as well, 9-11, that led the US and United Nations to invade Iraq, Afghan, later on Syria, Libya, Somalia, various other countries on the back of that. Now why am I bringing that up at the moment? Well, Colonel Gaddafi in Libya... He wanted to buy oil using gold rather than the petrodollar. And if you haven't listened to the Rockefeller episode, you may not know what the petrodollar is. The meaning of the petrodollar is that the dollar is spent to purchase oil from specific countries like the OPEC countries. It's not any special kind of currency. It's just the United States dollar. But it's fixed as a pay-in currency for the purchase of oil. So if you want to buy oil from... Syria, uh, not Syria, sorry, well, the OPEC countries, sorry, not Syria, um, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Libya, Iraq, yeah, it would be Syria too. If you wanted to buy oil off them, you have to pay in dollars, and it basically props up 
the US dollar. So the US dollar used to be backed with gold. So that means that if something if someone gives back the US dollar to the central bank, then they will have to give it back in gold. You know, whatever worth of that dollar. That's why if you look at um, a ten pound note in this country, it says uh, I promise the bearer the sum of ten pounds. It's just a receipt, a bank note is. And um, at the in the middle of like the nineteenth century, I think it was, in Great Britain, we started taking gold from the U.S. government in exchange for U.S. currency reserve, and uh, that incited fear in the minds of the U.S. government, and they thought that the gold reserve may deplete, so the U.S. might run out of gold, and then if everybody wants to bring their got their dollars and their coins in and say I want the gold, what are they going to do? So in uh, 1971. Nixon uh, stopped backing the dollar with gold. So now to stop other countries from losing faith in the US dollar, um, because it wasn't back with gold anymore, they entered into a contract with Saudi Arabia that they should only sell oil in exchange for US dollars. That slowed other, um, that, that well, other OPEC countries then started following the same and oil was only traded in dollars, you know, up until today. This led US dollars to become a global currency as oil is the most important commodity in the world. So it was the leading global currency as a result of that. So basically, if you want to buy oil from Saudi Arabia, Russia, wherever, uh, you have to use US dollars to buy it. It props up the US dollar as the world's strongest currency because billions of dollars are spent every year on oil. So what Gaddafi wanted to do, he wanted to start using gold to buy oil instead and leave OPEC. And um, OPEC's basically like a cartel that cooperates to reduce the market competition in the favour of America. So in 2009, Colonel Gaddafi, who was president of the African Union, suggested to the states of the African continent to switch to a new currency, independent of the American dollar. It was going to be called the Gold Diner. The objective of this new currency was to divert oil revenues towards state-controlled funds rather than the American banks. So in other words, to stop using the dollar for oil transactions, countries such as Nigeria, Tunisia, Egypt, Angola were all ready to change their currencies. But unfortunately, in March of 2011, NATO led a coalition into Libya, military intervention, in the name of freedom, and they took out Gaddafi. So in Libya at that time, Water was free. Um, it, uh, I think like petrol was basically free. It was like two pence uh, a liter or whatever. They had free healthcare system, free education. They were commonplace for Libyans under Colonel Gaddafi's dictatorship. He was the leader for 41 years. Managed to gain support of all the major tribes in the area and buy social peace through radical measures and a policy of shared oil revenues. He, I'm sure he was giving like newlywed couples a couple of grand and things like that as well. Uh, jihadism, which is the number one enemy, well, it's not the number one enemy of the West, come on, but that's what people say. Gaddafi eliminated it with napalm in the 1990s. Although he financed many armed groups in other areas, Libya itself was a stable country, where the risk of being kidnapped or murdered by armed militias was non-existent. With an excellent management of oil revenues, the Libyan state had managed to store up hundreds of tons of gold. This is the other reason that the uh, the UN went in there. If According to WikiLeaks, it was 143 tons of gold, and the same amount in silver. So all of those resources were going to make Libya the most influential country in the African continent. 
Gaddafi wanted to avoid American influence in his oil transactions by using gold. He launched the Gold Dina project, or the Dina, I think it's a Dina, and other major African governments were ready to follow suit, as I said. It was both an African dream and a nightmare for the West's financial system because of the way that they screw the Africans over. So everybody talks about African governments being corrupt and things like that. But if you look at how much of their money ends up in offshore accounts, uh, belong to Britain mainly, if you look at the money that comes out of these African countries and the debt that they are in, more money, more than enough money comes out to pay off that debt in one. Uh, so Paul Joseph Watson wrote a book called Order of the Chaos, and what he said about Hegelian dialect was this, it works like this, the manipulating body covertly creates a problem and then directs the media to incessantly focus on it without recourse. The problem could be anything, a war, a financial collapse, a rash of child abductions, terrorist attacks. The power of the media can create the false perception that a big problem exists, even if it doesn't. Once you have created this problem, you make sure that an individual, a group, or an aspect of society is blamed. This then rallies the population behind a desperate lunge for a solution to the problem. Something must be done, they'll all cry out. But the people that created the problem in the first place, they then come back in and offer the solution that the people demand. But you have to remember that the people screaming for a solution don't know that the problem was artificially created in the first place. So the solution to the problem is always further curtailment of freedoms and advancement of one or more aspects of the New World Order agenda. Whether it's uh, geopolitical expansion, new laws, implementation of new societal worldviews, that's the kind of thing that they do with the Hegelian dialect of problem-reaction-solution. So how does that fit in to what's going on right now, Rich, you know? Sort it out. So the novel coronavirus, known as SARS-CoV-2, I've been looking into a lot of things over the last year. And a group of scientists have come out and said that it's a lie that this is a novel coronavirus. And they said that in 2012 and 13 the SARS-CoV-2 virus was detected in Wuhan, China. Dr. Manali Rahalka, Dr. Ruhal Bahukai, and Dr. Uh, Shen Li Shi, they said that RATG13, or BT-CoV-49991, as then the virus had been registered then, caused pneumonia-like symptoms in six mine workers, of which three allegedly died you know, because of the infection. So in 2012, in Moizhang, a mine shaft, six mine workers suffered from a typical pneumonia and three of them died. So these workers were engaged in the work of clearing debris from a mine shaft, which had a lot of bats and bat feces. A detailed health investigation indicated that the, mine suff uh, the miners suffered from atypical pneumonia, mostly of the viral origin. Therefore, in light of the present COVID-19 caused by SARS-CoV-2, the fact that this phylogenetic neighbour, RATG13, originated in from bat feces collected from a mine shaft, which was also the origin of pneumonia-like disease in the miners, should be noted. Now, I can't read the study, it's behind the paywall, right, but... But during that period of 2013 to 19, RATG13, uh, BT-CoV-49991, SARS-CoV-2, was studied in Chinese laboratories, including the Wuhan laboratory. Everybody knows that. It's all over the internet. Everybody knows that they had a similar variant of this in that Wuhan lab. 
Now, through EcoHealth Alliance, the Wuhan lab received grants from the US government. The exact amounts of those grants, um, we don't really know uh, from the US funding. They're still being investigated. Um, they started an investigation in August last year. But EcoHealth Alliance also receives funding from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to support India's Ministry of Animal Husbandry and Dairying for establishment of the national One Health platform. So they've got this One Health platform. It's an international platform and it describes itself as a scientific reference centre and a network of One Health stakeholders. They're an independent international not-for-profit organisation that fosters science for the greater good. Now, One Health Platform receives funding from Bill and Melinda Gates. Uh, so it's had funding from them since 2018. Eco Health Alliance is in a coalition partnership with the One Health Platform. So there's no loose ends here. They all know each other and they all work together. And um, they are all privy to the information each other is coming up with. Now, Bill Gates was on the BBC in April, I think it was. Yeah, April last year. Uh, April the 12th, if you want to have a look, in an interview titled Bill Gates, Few Countries Will Get a Grade an A Grade for Coronavirus Response. So, Gates stated in the BBC interview that no exercises or simulations were ever held to train for global pandemics, even though his foundation was a co-host of Event 201 in October a few months before, and even though the Johns Hopkins Foundation for Health and Security had in previous years done similar exercises such as Dark Winter, clade x and atlantic storm so even in like april bill gates was already spinning the webs of lies and he's earning a lot of money off of this and in the october 2019 the sars cov2 infections um were they part of a plan whereby a simulation or drill would go live in order to advance a seemingly unrelated agenda such as the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. You know, is that what they're trying to bring in? Why was Bill Gates lying on that interview? Who even is Bill Gates? Well, I was going to do one huge episode on Bill Gates, but I decided against it because he'd probably get me suicided. But Paul Allen was actually the brains behind Microsoft in the beginning, and it was he who attended a meeting with IBS to put MS-DOS on their computers, but he didn't actually have DOS at that point, but that's what it turned into. But MS-DOS comes from a free code that was being worked on by many different programmers. It was known as QDOS, Quick and Dirty Operating System. So let me rewind a bit. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard in 1975. His mother was Mary Maxwell Gates, uh, she's a respected business one, uh, businesswoman with many responsibilities, including the membership on the board of a non-profit organisation, United Way of King County. And it's there that she met up with John Opel, who was the chairman of IBM at the time, and he was also a member of the United Way board. So in 1980, Microsoft was uh, a small five-year-old firm, and Mary saw an opportunity to help her son, who was a college dropout, you know, try and help him get uh, a couple of quid behind him. So for for the first time in IBM's history of like 70 years at that point, the company was looking to outsource um, help for what, what they call Project Chess. But they wanted to hire an outside software maker to develop an operating soft uh, system for their personal computers. So Microsoft was already in the running for the project. But IBM was considering many different software companies as well, including Digital Research, which was one of Microsoft's really early competitors. So with this knowledge, Mary used her connection and spoke with Opel about Microsoft. And afterwards, 
Opel spoke to IBM executives about uh, the company. So when Microsoft won the job, Bill Gates didn't actually go to the meeting. He was too much of an idiot and didn't know a lot by all accounts. So Paul Allen went and he got the deal done. But Microsoft at the time didn't have an operating system of its own. So in 1981, a year later, uh, the company bought QDOS, Quick and Dirty Operating System. So uh, the QDOS was created by a hardware company called Seattle Computer Products. And with its developed MS-DOS, the Microsoft Disk operating system, Microsoft licensed that to IBM to use as the operating system for IBM's personal computers. But they put in a contract that it isn't exclusive to them and obviously it become massive and it was on all computers apart from Macs and a couple of Linux ones. So basically Bill Gates monopolized a free bit of coding to earn his billions. And it's interesting that his father was a part of Planned Parenthood back in the day. So the agenda of eugenics and depopulation, it runs deep in the Gates DNA, you know. Bill Gates has always given away insane amounts of money, but his net worth has doubled from 2010 to 2020. In 2010, Bill Gates bought $23 million worth of Monsanto shares. You know Monsanto, right? The guys behind Agent Orange, Roundup and various other herbicides. I remember in 2018, Vietnam demanded Monsanto pay compensations to the victims of Agent Orange, which the company supplied to the US military during the Vietnam War. It became, uh, they came in response to Monsanto actually being ordered to pay £226 million to a school groundsman who claims his use of Roundup weed killer contributed to his terminal cancer. Agent Orange was a chemical herbicide and defoliant used by the US military to deprive Viet Cong guerrilla fighters of food and concealment. Between 61 and 1971, the US military sprayed around 12 million gallons of the chemical substance over 30,000 miles of southern Vietnam. I don't even know what started the Vietnam War, but surely those people in Vietnam were no threat to American citizens thousands of miles around the world. Across the world, you know, it's a flat earth. It's just put in school, taught how to talk these ways, you know. Millions still suffer to this day, with deformities are passed down to the offspring of exposed victims, including Vietnamese and American forces. So it's not just the Vietnamese who were victims of this, it's the Americans who were out there who thought they were fighting for their freedom and, you know, whatever other lies that the American government told them at the time. So Agent Orange was definitely, you know, we, we all agree, fucking terrible stuff. It's estimated that Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation have invested about 10 billion into benevolent global vaccine programs. They're mainly in the third world countries. It's almost um, as if it's part of his eugenics and population control because he did make a lot of tribal women sterile in uh, a couple of African countries. But the, the effects of like the aluminium on the human physiology, they, they play a serious role in disrupting the maturation of the immune system in like babies and children can have devastating effects on an unborn child you know things they call a fetus you know they call it a fetus because if you say unborn child you know you don't really want to kill it do you well, it depends if it's ginger or not i suppose <laughs> but most vaccines um they contain alum uh, aluminium uh, it's like an adjuvant so why put a substance that's known to harm the immune system in vaccines that are by large focused on infants and young kids man that's, you know, that's evil right there. So the program of ongoing geoengineering chemtrails saturates the ground with aluminium. 
that's a fact. Uh, there's an ongoing concerted effort by Monsanto in conjunction with other partnered um, biotech and research companies to produce many varieties of genetically engineered aluminium resistant seeds. So aluminium is a substance rarely seen naturally occurring in the soil, so why would you want to do that? You know, it's not as if they're going to encounter aluminium in the soil, unless you're spraying it in the skies with your chemtrails. Aluminium is also commonly found in our daily products, you know, uh, just to name a few, underarm deodorant, nail polish, body wash, obviously toothpaste, even in some infant baby formula powders to reduce clumping. Whilst on that topic, remember Johnson & Johnson, they put asbestos in their talcum powder for years and now they're making a vaccine in America, you know, so keep just keep wearing your mask and watching the news, don't listen to this stuff. Fluoride facilitates the movement of soft metals like aluminium, lead and mercury across the blood-brain barrier as well, which allows them to infiltrate our brain tissue and destroy your brain cells and synapses. Fluoride increases bone and other cancer rates faster than any other chemical on the planet. Cancer is a $500 billion per year global medical industry that seriously fattens big pharmaceuticals' pockets. Remember that when you brush your teeth tonight. I'm actually using a charcoal-based toothpaste at the moment. It's a bit pricey, but it doesn't have any fluoride in it. I can't afford to lose any more brain cells, guys. Today, America is the sickest society on the planet. And I don't mean sick in, you know, this new way. I mean they're ill as fuck. And it's only over, like, the last three generations. And it, it can't be a coincidence that they are also the most geoengineered, vaccinated, GMO'd, fluoridated, drugged-up society on the planet, too. So every, nearly every day I see chemtrails, but almost every day I see homomutatis clouds in the sky, which are man-made clouds. Now going back to Bill Gates, he also donated $30 million to Svalbard. Now, Svalbard, cool-ass name, it's a cool-ass thing as well. Uh, sound, sounds like it's taken out of a bomb movie. It's uh, 390 miles up into the glacial mountains of Norway on an island. It's a disaster-proof permafrost-insulated seed bank that in the event of an apocalyptic event could repopulate the earth with virtually every known crop. So originally conceived in the 80s as a 100 year experiment to test the durability of seeds in cold environments, the, product re the project sorry, really struggled to find donors and that was until an eyebrow raising team of behemoths including Bill Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, Monsanto, Syngenta, who decided to invest and they, invest they invested big. Bill Gates alone put in 30 million. Now it's interesting to point out that Syngenta and Monsanto both invested into this because they're both rivals in the genetically modified crop and pesticide game. So now Monsanto and Bayer have actually merged a couple of years ago. And that's even more interesting because they were once part of IG Farben, uh, which created Zyklon B gas for the Nazis, um, which was broken up after the war into a few different countries in the same way the Standard Oil was broken up in America because they had a monopoly. Now IG Farben made most of their money on like synthetic rubber but I might be wrong because I don't have anything to hand on IG Farben. I just remember from the Rothschild podcast episode. And what I missed out on that was that Paul Warburg, was the brother of Max Warburg, board of director at Farben, um, you know, the factory, was one of the founding members of the Federal Reserve System in the United States. And he was on Jekyll Island. He was also a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. Max Warburg and Hermann Schmitz played a central role in the Farben Empire. Other guiding hands of Farben Vorstand include Karl Bosch, 
uh, Fritz de Meer, Kurt Oppenheim and George von Schnitzler. Every one of the, those people uh, were a judge, were done, done for war crimes in the Nuremberg trials after World War II, except for Paul Warburg. So that's interesting shit too. Now Monsanto and Bayer have a very long history. They both made explosives and lethally poisonous gases using shared technologies and sold them to both sides during the, the two world wars. So the same war chemicals were bought by the Allied and Axis powers from the same manufacturers with money borrowed from the same Federated Reserve, uh, the same Federal Reserve Bank and the same central banks in Europe controlled by the Rothschilds. So what I think I'm trying to say here is look at the way Rockefeller and the robber barons monopolized oil back in the day. Also bear in mind that all like tablets and you know, pills and plastic products are petrochemical based. So Bill Gates was a made man. He's just a front for some for the same occult forces that were behind the robber barons and most major events in American and world history. Now, before you call me crazy, just look at the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Agenda. It's being imposed on the world right now. Since March in last year, so we're nearly a year into the Great Economic Reset, you know. They launched their COVID-19 action plan, the stepping stone towards the Great Reset and the new normal. So everything you've been seeing on the news, the TV, newspapers, on the internet, coming from mainstream media and numerous alternative media outlets has been designed to push society towards the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. So the Great Reset agenda is the plan for the fourth industrial revolution society where the middle class businesses no longer exist and where almost everyone is forced to depend on government handouts. It's serfs and kings, there's no one in the middle anymore. You're either a slave in the factory or you're one of these higher up people you know a society where everyone and everything's constantly being tracked and spied upon by mega corporations that write the new constitutions for the new lands of the new world the so-called new world order behind closed doors right now people all over the world are being manipulated into wearing masks you know the two mask thing that came out the other week you know people need to understand that medical professionals admit that masks don't work to prevent the spread of viruses but psychologists want us to wear them as part of a psychological operation that we're currently living through. I've looked into loads of medical studies and all of them have the same conclusion that masks do not work for preventing the spread and the infection rate of viruses. So there's a couple of things now um, that I have said over the last few months that have come true. The no jab, no job, you know, we're starting to see that now. And I think that's definitely going to come in. Another thing is now we have all these new variants. They're going to be pushing more and more vaccines. And an ID2020, like digital health passport. I think at first it'll be on your phone. And then eventually they'll get it in into maybe the right hand, into the, you know, into the skin. So I've rambled on enough for this episode. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. I'm waiting on a couple of the boys to come on the episode. Maybe this month. Hopefully this month. The thing is, I don't want to be doing a running commentary of the whole COVID thing. So I'll be back soon with some other conspiracies that tickle my pickle. Thank you guys for listening. I'd just like to say, just think for yourself. Don't be influenced by all these other people. Don't be one of these people who put things on social media because they think people will like it. If you have something to say, say it. And if someone's got something to say, who cares? Who cares? You don't have to be liked by everyone. But what I'm trying to say is... You need to be yourself. You can't be no one else, in the words of Oasis. Don't follow the fucking crowd. Do your own research and make your own decisions. I hope to see you soon. Take care.